Welcome to the Inspire Your Life podcast, where we give you the actions and strategies to live your best life, mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Morgan Kimbaro, and we're excited to get started and launch our first episode. Our guest today is known as the Bulldog Lawyer. He's a businessman, philanthropist, lawyer, inspirational figure. Dan Fulkerson, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, man. I didn't know I was a uh, first guest. That's a lot of pressure. I appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, I, I do well by you as being number one here. <laughs> I think you'll do just fine. But we also have another guest with us, too. Oh, Teddy. Yeah, Teddy rolls everywhere. Teddy, Teddy's my little sidekick. He's a, a rescue Frenchie that I rescued, shoot, three and a half years ago now. And so Teddy goes everywhere. Wow. And talk about that. I mean, you know, what you do in terms of rehabilitating bulldogs and animals. I mean, you're very involved in that. Yeah. I mean, dogs are a big part of my life. Uh, I've had, I got a, my first bulldog when I was 21 years old, San Diego state. I mean, I'll be candid, like the whole story. I bought the dog in the middle of the night, like after partying, like not a smart thought out decision, normal 21 year old dumb shit decision. And Three days later, this dog arrives and here it is. And here's all this responsibility. And it changed my life. Like it made me wake up to having to show up and be there for a living thing, having to come home every night, having to take care of something. And my life just changed. Like my direction changed, my path changed. And so that, that was Stella. I had Stella till she was almost 18. She passed away when she was like 17 and a half years old, which is ridiculous for a bulldog, but she was my baby. And so she's the mascot of my law firm. She's the logo, like she's the legacy dog. And so since Stella, I, I now have six bulldogs. I know it's ridiculous, but you know, it's, it's my thing. They're my kids. And that's, you know, a big part of my give back to the community is I rescue bulldogs. And when they come in, whether it's humane society, other rescues, they reach out to me, I'll rehab them, get them whatever medical attention that they need. If they need medical attention, I pay for all of it out of my own pocket. And then once they're good, we find them a great home. And it's kind of my like give back to the world. One of the, the charities that I support and that I'm very, very actively involved in. I have my own bulldog rescue. It's called Save a Bully. Um, in the last week, we found homes for two Frenchies. I got a four-year-old English right now that I'm working on finding a home for. So hopefully we'll get him a home this week. Have a bunch of families that are very interested. So it's great. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I say when I'm done being a lawyer, it's what I'll do for the rest of my life. I'll just rescue dogs. So that's the plan. I love it. So you're 21 years old. You get a, you get a dog for the first time right after a night of partying i mean think about where you were then to where you are now like what would you what would you tell your 21 year old self i mean all that you've accomplished all that you've done i mean not just like that but just your headspace like is there any advice that you would give yourself bro it's it's hard (laughs) to even like life's gone so fast like i'm almost 39 so it's been a while I never would have seen myself where I'm at today, right? Like it's evolved so much. When I was at San Diego State, I had the opportunity to study abroad at Oxford and overseas for two semesters. I got, was able to go back for a second semester. That changed my life. That was a very pivotal time time in my life where it kind of, 
it showed me what I wanted to do. And then after that, I could start to see things in my mind's eye, right? Like I, I knew that I was going to be successful and build a law firm and do all these things. But at 21, I had no idea, man. It was just living day by day, enjoying San Diego State. I was a kid from Idaho, you know, like I, I this was all new to me and a little overwhelming. So it's hard for me to even think about being here now then. It's just crazy. Just blessed. So talk about that, right? Growing up in Idaho and then coming to San Diego. I mean, what was that journey? What made you want to come to California? Idaho is amazing. I love Idaho, but it was so small and so white and so just closed minded is what I want to say. I don't mean it the way that that sounds, but it's just like, it's just, it's a different way of life than like the big world. Right. And I knew that there was something bigger out there and I knew that there was something bigger out there for me. And so when I turned 18 and graduated, I ran, like, I was like, I'm gone. Um, I went to Chico for a year. Chico wasn't for me. It was just too small and then came down here. And as soon as I got to San Diego, I'm like, I'm home. But it was a big transition because all I'd known is Idaho my whole life and close, very close circle of friends that I'm still really close with. And my family's all in Idaho. And, you know, it was a big transition to being a little fish in a big pond. But, you know, it's, it, it's funny because I think about that and I'm like, I remember getting here and being like, I'm never going to be somebody in San Diego. I'll always be a little fish in a big pond. And as the years have gone by, the pond's gotten a lot smaller. And now it's like you walk around, you're like, oh, hey, 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 hey. Here's, here's the big fish. I don't even know big fish, but it's 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 a different world now than it was at 21. And the insecurity of that has gone away. I got a better analogy. You're the bulldog in the in the. I'm the bulldog yard. in yeah, the. Yeah, yeah. I'm the right? bulldog right? that can swim. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Yep. And yeah. so, and so you go to San Diego State, graduate, and then you go on to law school. Yeah. Right. Like what? What was the? Uh, what was the motivation to want to become a lawyer? What was the inspiration there to continue on in schooling and be like, okay, I'm going to go be a lawyer. So I did debate in high school. I was really good. Um, I knew it was always something that I had a skill set at. I didn't know for sure that I wanted to be a lawyer. I took my LSAT and my GMAT. GMAT's for a master's in business. I did well on both. I got admitted into both programs. I couldn't decide which one I wanted to do. There was a period where I was like, just going to go and get my master's in business and then go from there. I had the opportunity to do both of them at the same time. So I did both my master's and my law at the same time and did them both year round and did them both in two and a half years. I think I'm the only person that's done both programs and gotten them finished in two and a half years. It was a grind of grinds. Like, I mean, starting class at 8.30 and finishing class at 9.30 at night. And then on the weekends, I worked at Stingery Nightclub and valeted cars, and that's how I got by. And when I finished the two and a half years, I had ulcers. Like, my health was shit. Like, I was burnt. But I didn't have a safety net. I didn't have another option. It was either do that or... I wasn't going to be able to get through it because I just didn't have the money. So it it was it was <laughs> it was a road that I wouldn't suggest for anyone. Like I don't think it was really like a good thing on my body or my soul, but I'm really glad now looking back that I did both and I, I use both of those degrees every single day. My master's in business is just as valuable to me as my law degree. Awesome. 
You know, I think about a term that Robert Greene talks about in his book, 48 Laws of Power, Death Ground. Yep. If you've read that book. I have. Right? It's a great book. Great book. And he's a great author, right? Yep. All of his books, 33 Strategies of War, Laws of Human Nature. And one of the, the vignettes that he tells in that, in, of that law, right, Death Ground, I think he says something different. But essentially, right, when Cortez went to, uh, to South America, yep. you know, he had one mission in mind to, to conquer... I think it was Mexico, and his his people that were with him were not as motivated as he was. So he yep. he, he you know destroyed his own ship and says we're not leaving until we burn conquer. your fucking ship. Burn your fucking ship, yep. right? And I get reminded of that when you tell that. You know, like there's been times in my life where I was like so dead set on a goal. I'm like I'd be willing to die for yep. it. That's how it is, man. And I tell business owners, and I like. I had a good friend that was working for another company. She was working for like a copy machine company selling copy machines. And she came to me and she's like, I want to start my own. She was like, what would your number one advice to me? And I, that's what I told her. I'm like, burn your fucking ships. Cause if you're going to do something, do it, go all in. Cause if you have a plan B, that's where life's going to push you. You cannot have a plan B when you're going into certain things. You just have to have a plan and burn your fucking ships. And so, yeah, I can, I think about that all the time. And I use that advice when I talk to and mentor people because you have to have that singular mindset in order to accomplish something big. And I think that a lot of people lack that now. There's a lot of, there's a lot of distraction, a lot of, oh, well, I'm going to start this and then I'm going to start this and then I'm going to start this. And it's like, you're never going to be good at any one thing. Like, and, I, and I've fallen victim to it too in the last few years because I've gotten to a place where I built my firm up to where, you know, it, it runs really well. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to, now I think I can do this, which I think I can, but it doesn't mean that it's the move. And building something great, you have to have focus on. And people just have their attention divided these days. Yep. Ray Dalio has a great quote You can have anything, but you can't have everything. Thousand percent. Right? I mean, you know, you can work hard and get, get, get what you want but if you spread yourself thin on multiple goals yep. then you might you know make progress right right i'm using my hands this we have video good yeah. right and so you'll get a little bit of progress on maybe all these things but if you just have one boom yep. right? it's just like a vertical upshoot another great book principles, principles another great book yep. that everyone should read um it's funny you bring these those two books up because that's how you and I started conversating was passing each other books back and forth. And I just think so few people read these days and there's so much knowledge and wisdom out there in books, but it takes time to actually like source it. It does. Yeah. And most people aren't willing to do that. Yes, exactly. And understand when you're reading the book to take the important, to, to read it and then apply it to your life. Bro, I highlight yes, shit. Yes, highlight stuff, take notes. I read a book with a highlighter. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm not just reading it for fun. Like, that's why I understand a lot of people do Audible. I still read physical books. I mean, you, when you come into my office, you know, I'm like, hey, I got a book for, I got a book for yep, you. Like, yep. I got a, a whole filing cabinet full of books to just give out to people. And when I come across one, I'm like, oh, this would be a great Morgan book. Or this would be a great, you know, Jeff book. Or, like, I, I just kind of, like, tag it in my mind. And then when I run into that person, I got it ready for you. Because a book can change your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, well, the last book I read was one of your suggestions that you gave to me, Jeff Fenster's book. Oh, you read it? Oh, I read it. You yeah, read it two days. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. Jeff's one of those one of those rare humans that once he sets his mind to something, it's it, it's going to happen. And I didn't know it 
it's one of my uh, humbling investment stories, if you will, was I had the opportunity to invest in Jeff's company when he just first started it, but I didn't know Jeff. I'd never, I'd never met Jeff prior to the initial investment meeting. So I didn't know how he was built. And I always bet on people, you know, they say bet on the jockey, not on the horse. And so I had that meeting and I, because of my lack of knowledge of him, I passed on the deal because I'd just done a couple other big investment deals. And I'm you know, it's like, eh, this one wasn't for me. He's turned his business into just this nationwide monster. I mean, it's worth like 200, $300 million. He'll exit for some asinine figure. And Jeff's just built different. And it that was a slap in my face. And I remember calling him and going like, hey, I was wrong. You were right. If you ever give me the opportunity to ever invest in anything that you do, I'm in. I won't even ask questions. Just tell me where to send the check and how much for, and I'm in. And it was a, a definitely a, a learning lesson for me. But yeah, he's he's built different, and it's a great book. I'm very proud of him for doing it. Definitely. Yep. You know, I've read a lot about you know when venture capitalists and private equity they're looking, you know, at the criteria of investing in a business. There's a lot of firms that, yeah, they want a good solid business idea, but what they rate, what they weigh higher is the people, right? The quality of, of people that are founding that company. For sure. Right? And so I, I, I kind of look at a situation like that where, you know, you maybe weren't sold on the business idea, but you saw Jeff and his abilities and his talents. Would you say, like, that was a lesson learned to, sure, like, you know, there may be a business idea that may not be totally solid, but if there's a, you know, just a superstar behind it, yeah. They can make that business work. There's a lot of good business ideas, a ton, that will never see the light of day and that will die on the vine because they just aren't executed on. And I think that that's, you know, and this is this is going to be a, a judgment statement, but I think that it holds true. If you come from a lot of money and you got, you know, a lot of outs, right, and you got a big trust fund behind you, shit gets hard. You don't have to see it through. You can throw in the towel. You can go, you'll be fine. That worries me in investments because shit's going to get hard. So the people that I know will see it through and will push through those walls and will, even when it's rocky roads, are going to still stay on track, those are the people you should invest in because they'll, they'll make it through. Might take a couple extra years, might be a couple extra hurdles, but they'll make it through. And so that's what I've realized is when you're going to invest in something, invest in a person, invest in people it's way better than investing in an idea. 100%. So talk about your experience from going, from being an employee, right? Yeah. I mean, you were making like a million dollars a year, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that. I was making good money. I, I negotiated a good deal for myself because I, I came out with a, a management experience from my master's in business, so I knew how to run a business, yep. right? So I got insulted by the offer that I was made for how much I was going to make. And so instead of being butthurt about what I was offered, my move was to negotiate how I would make money on the back end. So I basically was like, Hey, pay me whatever, you know, small amount that you're going to on the front end salary. But I want X, Y, and Z of any business that I bring in. Cause I knew I could generate a lot of business. And so that's how I started making money was I would generate business and bring in a lot of business. And so, yeah, by year two, I was making close to a million bucks year three. I never made less than a million bucks a year. So that was how I, I started my 
career and track was by making sure that I I bet on myself, if you will. I'm not a gambler. When I go to Vegas, I won't touch a table, but I will bet on myself, and that was how I started making money. Um, and I think that you get to a place in all things where you're like, hey, I could do this differently. I could do this better. And I got to that place. Same with rescues. Like I helped a lot of rescues and I was like, hey, I could do this differently. I think I could do this better. So I did my own rescue. It's the same thing. And I think that that's like a, uh, always been a driving force in my life is I'm humble enough to know that it can always evolve my business right now. I think it's a very strong law firm. I I'm very proud of what we built. We have, I mean, we started with two and now we have 30 people. We get fantastic results for people. Like we do a really good job, but there will always be evolution. There will always be things that need to be worked on. There will always be things that can be improved. And that mindset has always pushed me to a place of success. So talk about going from, you know, making a million dollars a year, right? At the law firm yeah. that you were at, right? You had two Lamborghinis, right? A two Ferraris. Yeah. Two Ferraris. Two, I, I, I How two fast Ferraris. are those cars? I mean, <laughs> they're great. Like I had two Ferraris before I was 30 and it's funny. Like I, I have a different mindset on it now because I'm very glad I got that shit out of my system. Yeah. Right. Like it was not for me. It didn't serve my soul. It was for ego. It was for other things. And what you realize about that is you're trying to fill a void in your life. I think most people are that have those kind of things. Don't get me wrong. There's some people that are just like passionate about cars, passionate about, you know, vehicles. Cool. If that's what it is for you. I think for most people it's a, Hey, look at me. Hey, you know, fill some sort of insecurity that you have in your life. That was what it was for me. And it peaks your happiness for a month or two months. And then you're right back down to where you normally are and what your baseline is. And I figured out, thankfully, at a young age that those type of materialistic things are never going to make me happy. And so now I drive a, you know, big Dodge truck and a Tesla, you know, like like I'm I'm back to to normal because it's it's not about other people. It's about me. And I feel safe in a big Dodge truck and the Tesla is easy and, you know, it's like a golf cart on steroids. So it works. (laughs) Love it. Yeah, but it's it was uh, it was a blessing to go through that early. I see people that are like, oh, "Are you gonna be panting?" I see people that work their whole lives and then like refinance their house when they're like fifty five to buy like a car, Corvette, or something like that. And I feel so bad for those people because I'm like, man, like that's you're gonna realize how hollow that is, and you're gonna be really depressed when you realize that you worked your whole life for something that isn't gonna deliver true joy and true happiness in your life. And you really have to figure out what those things are that are gonna really make you happy. And those are the things that you should invest your time and money into. And normally it's not gonna be materialistic stuff. That's what I found out. Like I, I think about it a lot. Like I think about when I'm 85, 90 on my deathbed, when I look back, what am I going to look back and be proud of? Am I going to look at my bank account and look at the ones and zeros on a computer screen and go, oh, great, look at all those ones and zeros? Or am I going to look at like the life that I lived and the legacy that I left and the lives that I impacted and the amazing things I was able to do? To me, that's what life's about. It's not about, oh, I had two Ferraris before I was 30. Like That shit doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like Maybe it matters to other people, but it does not matter to me. Yep, you can't take it with you can't take any of it with you man and it's like i just feel like our our light our society is so built around material and so built around the grass is always greener and you know keeping up with the joneses and 
that's not a fulfilling way to live. Like everyone should be more self-analytical than that. Like what are the things that are truly going to make you happy? What are the things that are truly going to, you know, make sure that you have a smile on your face every single day? And I've now started to just focus and build my life around those things. That's why we can come into my office. It's just literally bulldogs everywhere. Like there's like, you know, like I have a dog park in the front of my office. These guys are running around everywhere. (laughs) Teddy comes everywhere with me because those are the things that make my heart happy and fulfill my soul. So I'm going to build my life around those. When I hire someone, it's, do I like you? Do I want to work with you? Like, is this going to be a fun experience for both of us? Because life's short. Like, I want to be living my best life every single day. And my best life is not based around materialistic shit. Like, I'm lucky to have nice things. I'm lucky to have a nice house. I'm lucky to have a nice office. Like, those are vehicles. But that's not what I work for. That's not what I live for. Going to get Teddy hydrated here. You got Ryan with the assist with the water. Thank you, Ryan. Now he's, like, too good for it. He's like, oh, no, I'm good. <laughs> is, that a, is that filtered water? Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Is that like the alkaline pH? Because only the best he, for Teddy. Yeah, he went from the streets <laughs> to like I only drink high pH water now. Like <laughs> it was funny. I, I took him to a. He was in a, a wedding in New York. They wanted him and another Frenchie that I rescued to walk down the aisle as like the ring bearers. Wow. So I flew him out to New York with me last year, and I took him to Central Park, and it was one of those moments of like shit bro like you came from literally the streets like beat up horrible condition and now here you are in central park like jumping on subways and shit like it was such a cool moment for me just like a surreal experience and i try i try to give teddy the best life he can possibly have you know people say all the time they're like when i come back i want to come back as teddy and i know i'm doing my job i love it yeah rags to riches rags to riches (laughs) right theodore there's a metaphor in that for sure for sure he's a good kid though he deserves it so talk about you know you're balling man you're you're making a million dollars a year your inspiration for leaving and starting your own business wasn't to make more money it was from what you told me right you're working these what 60 80 hour work weeks yeah you're having the two ferraris you got everything on paper that that looks good right you're the you're i don't know if you're i'm not gonna say you're a playboy but you know like for what this world tells us we should aspire to. I check the boxes. You check so, the boxes. Yeah, there for you sure. go. For sure. Check the boxes, you know. And I think it was one night, right, where you kind of had this epiphany and you found a book that was thrown away. Yeah. Remind you me get the title. Good memory, man. Remind me the title of that book. From a life of matter to a life that matters. And you read that book yeah. and you're like, okay, you know, I got to make a change. Yep. And, and I found that book yes. next to a trash count. Like in wow. the, in my condo building in Little Italy, you know, like how people put stuff next to the trash. They don't want to throw it out. Like maybe someone else will pick it up. It was just a, a pile of books. And this was one of the books. And I'd like, I don't know why I even stopped and looked at the pile of books. I, I like to read. So it's just like, eh. and this was the one book that I grabbed. And I went upstairs and I read the entire book that night, like start to finish and finished it and had goosebumps because it was like the book that had found me. But I flipped to the very front page, and it was signed by the author. So it was a signed copy of this book, right? And the book was all about a young record executive that ran Live Nation. And he had checked all the boxes. He'd done all the things that, you know, you would think would make you feel successful and fulfilled. But he wasn't happy. And then his mom was diagnosed and died of cancer. 
And he had an eye-opening moment of like, what am I living for? And what am I doing? And I'm not truly happy. And he went on like a spiritual quest to find his true happiness. And it wasn't in material and it wasn't in anything that he thought it was in. It wasn't in all these celebrity friends that he had. And that book changed my life. And I literally, I buy every time I can find, it's hard to find. Every time I can find a copy on Amazon, I buy it just so I can give it to people because it was such an instrumental book in my life. And that was a big pivot moment in, hey, I want to do things differently and I want to build a firm that's built differently. And that was a big part of the start. Wow. And so then from there, right, you, you, you leave the company. Yep. What was the process of getting Bata Fulkerson started? Because I know that you, you know, you were kitchen table, top bro. Ramen, right? Kitchen Back to table. the top ramen college days. You're like cut, cut my uh, cut your expenses, cut all that my stuff. expenses, cut my cable bill, cut all my all my expenses. Uh, Paul Bata, my law partner, my brother, one of my best friends, I love Paul to death. He started the firm with me. Our first office was my kitchen table in my condo in Little Italy. We pushed that thing up against the wall, and that's where we started. Didn't have an office. That's where we started. I remember we went to um, Staples first day. He, this dude picks up one ream of paper. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> one ream of paper? Like, we're starting a law firm. You better grab a couple more of those things. Like, we, we, we started it from the base, right? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I had the business background. I knew how to build it. Like, I'd already built someone else's firm. I know. I knew how to build a really good firm and a really strong firm, but I wanted to build it a different way. Like my, my industry, the personal industry, personal injury industry, law firms that do injury cases have always been known as sleazy, slimy ambulance chasers. That's just what they're known as. And I didn't want to be that. Like I wanted to be different than that. I wanted to people to know that it was, it was truly about people and not about money. And so we literally broke everything and rebuilt it how we wanted to see it from how we deal with clients to how we deal with our, you know, how we get compensated to how I pay my attorneys to how we connect with the community and give back to the community. Like everything was evaluated and rebuilt to the fact that the bulldogs are part of the office and when yeah. you come in you are with the bulldogs and they're sitting in depositions and like the court reporters ask about like everything was built differently because i didn't like how my industry was run i didn't want to feel dirty i wanted to be proud when i said this is my firm this is what i do and i wasn't and so yeah it was uh we didn't we didn't take a dollar in for 18 months like not a single penny was taken into wow. Paul or me in profit. So we literally tightened belt, reinvested every single dollar back into the office. Um, the story that I always tell is like 16 months in, I got a motorcycle case of a kid that was going up Palomar Mountain Road and another guy was coming down Palomar Mountain Road and he had strapped a GoPro on the front of his car and the back of his car and was filming himself drifting corners <laughs> like goodness. an idiot, right? And he drifted into my client's lane, hit him on his Ducati. My client went 20 feet in the air, came down, severed every single nerve that goes into his left arm. His <sighs> left arm was left completely dead, wow. useless, right? Guy was 30 years old, had just had his firstborn son two months before. He built drones and airplanes, couldn't hold a 
screwdriver or a tool. He was going to have to completely reevaluate his entire life. His life was twisted and turned upside down in one moment by one stupid individual's act. There was only a limited amount of money there. It was 250 grand. It's not a ton of money in that type of situation, right? So Paul and I were finally going to be able to, you know, bring some money into the office where we were going to be able to take, you know, some money off of that case. And we both looked at each other and we're like, we can't take this money. Like, we got to give it back to the family. Like, let them use it to go buy a house. Let them use it for whatever they need, whatever's coming down the road. And we waived fees on that case. And that moment changed how both of us knew we were going to run a firm for the rest of our lives. And it, every, ever, every day since then, we started bringing in bigger cases than we'd ever had and started settling cases for more than we'd ever settled them for. And two months later, we became green, and we've been green every single month since. And, you know, here we are and bought a building in Mission Hills that looks out over the 5 freeway and put a big light of bulldog on top, which is a whole different story. But it's about people. It's not about money. It goes back to what I said earlier. When I'm laying on my deathbed and I look back, it's not going to be about how much money I have in the bank. It's going to be about the lives that I was able to change, the friends that I've been able to make. I'm still friends with that young man. He's now close to my age. It's crazy how time flies. That's what matters to me. Like, that's my bank account. It's not the, I, I could make more money than I do right now if I didn't give so much to the community, if I didn't waive fees on cases like that. But it's not what it's about to me. That's amazing. And it's about the people wherever you go, right? In any organization, any business, sports, military, right? I mean, you're dealing with people. And I think we get caught up sometimes in the, the, the bottom line, right? The, the X's and O's, the dollars. And when I look at businesses, you know, huge corrupt scandals like Enron, right? 2008, the financial crisis. Yep. It's where people are just so focused on the dollar, yep. right? That they lose all morals. They think in the short term, you know, they don't think, you know, what this is going to, the repercussions of this. They yep. don't think outside of themselves. And for you to have that mindset, I mean, the culture at Battle Fulkerson, as I'm thinking about, you know, you've, you're running things differently. Like you guys have a mascot, you know, you, Six got, you, have a, you, have, you have a mascot with the with the bulldog, right? I mean, what other law firm does that? It's like always buttoned up, yeah. you know, not really straying, not really taking any innovative approaches. And maybe maybe there are. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. But, I mean, the way that you do things, just not knowing anything about law yeah. and the way that you market your business, I mean, you've created a, an internal culture and an outer culture as well. I mean, I talk about like the 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 innovation, the inspiration of of, of to take those risks, right? In 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 law, right? In in the legal profession, yep. it's 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 shifted now, and not to like be boastful about it, but I I am proud of it. Is I've watched other firms like realize, oh shit, we got to change as well, which is what I wanted. I wanted to change the reputation of personal injury attorneys. I can't do that as one firm, so my goal was to shake up the market and have people realize this isn't how we should do it and we got to change and then have that be a ripple effect, which has happened. But when we first started, people were like, other attorneys, they wouldn't even look at me in my eye. Like, you're doing things so differently. Like, this isn't how it's supposed to be done. It's the old white country club way. Oh, you got to have all these old dusty books behind you. Oh, you got to be suited and booted. 
That's how I roll. Again, I'm in J's and a black tee every single day. That's how I sign clients up. That's how you meet me. You get what you get. There's no facade, right? There was so much facade in the industry, and people don't want that. They want real human connection, right? So I've watched that now. That's that's changed, and people, I think there's still, like, I, I watch attorneys in town that are, like, dressing in J's, and, and I'm like, bro, come on. Like, They're following you, find, man. Yeah, find your You're own the style. trendsetter, like, yeah, man. Come know, on. It just it makes me laugh. You're now, no Dan Folker saying. Yeah, it, it makes me laugh. It's kind of humorous. But yeah. in the same sense, like, the marketing, right, like, we were doing shit that was way outside of the box that in the beginning people laughed at. Like I designed these shirts with like the bulldog and we were giving them out, gave out thousands of these shirts, spent a lot of money doing it. My law partner thought I was crazy. I'm like, just wait, just watch. People were wearing them. They loved the shirts. Yeah. I was walking billboard. I was walking advertisement. We started to get busier and busier. People, other law firms were making fun of it. Like, Oh, you got an animated dog on your shirt. You're giving away shirts and swag. Now every firm you go to has swag and merch and all, and all, it just it makes me laugh because yeah. you made fun of it, then you saw that it worked, and now you're doing it. Cool, no big deal. Same with the community stuff. There were not very many firms giving out and doing a lot of community work. It was a greedy profession. They were keeping all the money for themselves. We were doing so much community work. We started with one community, you know, organization, nonprofit. Now we have over 20 that we help out. We have a food pantry. We give out a million meals every single year out of one food pantry. I sit on the board of six different organizations. I've watched now other organizations, other law firms have gotten very involved in the community. Whether they're doing it for the right reasons, whether they're doing it for the facade, I don't really give a shit. You're helping the community. Yes. It makes me happy. Good. There needs to be more of that. But I've watched how my industry, especially in San Diego, has changed as a result of what we've done and what we've built. That makes me really happy. I don't take it as like an insult. I don't worry about it on a competitive level. To me, it's a compliment, right? It shows that what we've done and how we've done it is a good thing, and people recognize that. Um, how I compensate my attorneys in my office. I pay my attorneys more than anyone else in town pays at my, their attorneys. Why? Because I think it's fair. Like, I think that everyone should be able to grow together. I want my attorneys to be able to live their best lives they possibly can, go buy the houses that they want to buy, be able to you know, support their families the way they should be able to support. Other attorneys in town would ridicule me. Like, you pay them that much? Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but they deserve it. Like, without them, I can't do what I do. You know, and so it's just, it's been funny to watch the evolution. And I'm very proud of that. And I think that will continue to happen. And... I don't worry about the competition because I got many more ideas. I got many more plays in my playbook and you know, it, it all plays out the way that it plays out. And there's, I've always looked at it like there's plenty of pie for everyone to eat. So it is what it is. Yeah. I love that. And I think that with the way things stand now in business, as opposed to where it was 30 to 40 years ago, where it was just profit maximization, yeah. you know, just looking out for the shareholder. Yep. I do think that the mindset of, a lot of businesses have evolved to look at the shareholder and all these different things that are involved within the business, right? Yeah. How do we, you know, how do we make the world a better place? I mean, you know, some I can disagree with how they think to make the world a better place, sure. but, you know, paying your employees properly, right? Yeah. Trying to facilitate them to volunteer, donate to charity, yeah. you know, I think is very important. I think that makes our country better. Right, because it starts at the the micro level, yep. right, of businesses like yours going out in the community and saying, "Hey, we're gonna put 
we're gonna we're gonna put forth uh you know our money to help certain causes right and this is what we want to promote we want to show the community that we're not just focused on making a profit like we want to take the profit that we have and donate and we want to get that back into our workforce as well and i mean you know i guess just from a business standpoint as you're looking at the economy right now from a from a from a macro level like what do you, what do you think are, are some of the problems with, with big corporations right now I think that a lot of corporations lack culture. Okay. Right? And you have to have culture to be able to retain people. The next generation of workforce is different than we've ever seen before, right? People want it now. People aren't willing to wait and pay their dues, if you will, and put in their time. Like, I was willing to work for free. Like, give me an opportunity. I'll work for free and show you why I'm worth my value. That concept I don't really see anymore. People want now. And so the market has to be able to evolve to that, right? So it's either going to be through compensation or it's going to be through culture. I've kind of hedged in the middle where it's a hybrid, where we have culture and then we also have fair compensation. People love my office and my employees love my office because they realize that there's loyalty there. I will do anything that I will ever ask an employee to do. I'm not above anything. I'm not below anything. That's how Paul is as well. I don't show up two days a week and expect you to be there seven days a week. I think that the people at the top should work harder than anyone else. And I think that people watch those things and realize those things. And I've worked for businesses where that was not the case, where the main guy would roll in at noon and would leave at two. And most of those two hours that they were there, they weren't doing shit. And that something that everyone sees and then people are like why am i working so hard for you why am i doing all of this so you can go out and live the best life you possibly can but you're not working for me and that has to shift and i think that it, it has a little bit but i think it has to continue to i also think that environment's an important thing we now have a lot of people working from home right I think that's a good thing in certain businesses because people can have a little bit better work-life balance and be around their families, and it's not just live to work, uh, but it's work to live. And I think that that's changed in our society where people aren't just going, oh, well, this is my job, this is my life, this is how I identify. They have an identity outside of their work, and that's going to continue we're going to see and live through an evolution in the next 10 to 20 years with technology and with AI and businesses have to be able to pivot and be on their toes because we're heading to a place where a lot of people, millions of people are going to get replaced by technology. And if you're going to be a successful business that doesn't get replaced, you better be ready to pivot and move. And so I'm always just keeping my head on a swivel and going like, like I said, like, how can we get better? How can we can, how can we improve? How can we stay modern? How can we, you know, make sure that we're keeping up with the times? Cause I'm not going to get replaced. Like you can, you can come out with self-driving cars and you can take away my, you know, main pursuit of what we do. I'll be fine. I'll find something else. I don't know. That doesn't worry me. Cause I always know I'll keep my head on a swivel. I just think a lot of people don't. Definitely. So, a lot to unpack there, but the question that I that comes to mind, right, as, as when you're hiring somebody, yeah. you know, what are the traits that you're looking for? I know you, you touched on that a little bit of, you know, are they a good person? Mm-hmm. But, 
you know, if you could give advice to really just kind of general advice for somebody in a company, how to rise up, right? The traits to display that. So this is a terrible question for me. I have to be brutally honest. I'm not even allowed to meet with new employees before they get hired Uh because I just, I work off intuition way too much. Right. And so I'm just like, you're hired. You got the job, right? <laughs> like, and it, it's not the way to do it. So Paul, my office manager, they're the ones that hire everyone. I've been, like, meeting new employees on their first day where they're like, hey, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Dan. Nice to meet you. Like, uh, you know, it's it's a weird setup, but I realize it's just not one of my strengths because I will just hire someone off of intuition. Um, so horrible question for me because I'm just not good at it. But what we figured out and what Paul and Monique, my office manager, figured out is – it, it's hiring someone that has the same type of ethic that you do and the same type of morals that you do. And also, you know, what do you want out of life, right? Like, what are the things that really are going to make you happy and make you tick? I think that you really have to figure that out about employees and help them get there. And if you do that and you help them on their road to happiness, and it's not always materialistic, it's usually not, and I had a mentor, Jason Cisneros, that taught me this. But if you if you help them on their road to happiness, they're going to help you make your business as successful as possible. So it really is getting to know the people as well as you possibly can so you can help them improve their own lives and get to whatever that finish line is that they see. I love that. I love that. So in terms of relationships, right, you know, you're – you you just got into a relationship. If yeah. You don't mind me saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how do you how do you show up for your friends and family, right? How do you how do you show up in in the best way possible, right? With all the yeah. things that you have going on, how do you maintain those relationships? Getting a probably too brutally honest answer. My life revolved around work for a long time. That was, and I I put a lot of my relationships on a back burner. Not something I'm proud of, but it just, it was the reality. Like, my life, work was first, number one priority. Um, COVID was a wake-up call for me. COVID was a wake-up call because I didn't think I ever wanted to have a family. I didn't think I ever wanted to be a dad. I just thought, I'm going to build businesses, and I'm really happy, and I'm going to have dogs, and I'm good. And I had like this epiphany and I started having dreams and like I couldn't get away from it where I was like, shit, like, am I going to feel fulfilled at the end of my life story if I don't have a family, if I don't, if I'm not a dad? And I realized that I'm going to look back on it with a lot of regret. And I watched David Letterman watched an interview with him that stuck with me and it's weird that like just certain weird things will stick with you in life but I watched an interview with David Letterman and he was talking about how he had a kid really late I think like 59 or 61 or it was late and he said it's the biggest life regret and he'd get back all the money that he's ever earned just to have like an extra year just to to do it a year earlier because of how fulfilling it was and I really started to think about it and think about what true legacy is and what true legacy means and I realize that I want to have a family and those are things that I really want, but I have to be able to put the time and effort into those things the same way that I did into my business. And so I've started to readjust my life and hire more people. So I don't work 
work 70, 80 hours a week so I can be there for the people that I love. And maybe I make less money, but it's that's what my soul has been telling me is the move. And so now that is my focus is figuring out how I can set up my life where instead of working seven days a week, I'm working three to four days a week, right? And still running a great successful business and I am not there yet. Like I'm still working on this, right? Like I'm still manufacturing what that truly looks like, but I'm moving in that direction because I want to be a dad and I want to be an active dad and I want to be a good dad. And I want that to be my legacy. And I think that that is where I've shifted a lot in the last three or four years. And yeah, it's, I never would have thought that that would be me, right? Like I never, if you would have told me this five years ago, I would have laughed at you. And now it's like, I've realized that that's going to be what feeds my soul and really makes me happy. And so I've just had to shift priorities. And I think that that's all things in life priorities. What's, what's important to you and actions over words. Words are bullshit most of the time. Show me. Show me something. Like, you're saying that this is important to me. Show me it's important to you. And so I want to put my time behind it. What does love mean to you? Love in what sense? Like, love in, like, a romantic sense? Love in, like, a... All of it. All of it? Love from friends, love from family, love from a romantic partner unconditional good bad ugly all of it like yeah i mean i that be brutally honest yeah i mean i think that's what it that's what it means like there's good times bad times rough times you take it all like if you love someone like it's it's a concoction of all of that and you're there steadfast through and you don't just throw in the towel on shit and we have a society that throws in the towel when shit gets hard that is not love to me like that's where you get lust and for me like it's not about the aesthetics right like you have to like love someone's soul and love someone who who they truly are and the reasons why they live their life the way that they live their life like and I don't think that people a lot of people think that they're in love and they're not truly in love and I, I always say this, and I guess on a romantic side, I don't encourage anyone to get married prior to 30 years old. I think most men shouldn't get married till they're 35 because I just don't think you truly know who you are and what you want out of life. There's exceptions. There's caveats to that. Like one of my best friends is with his high school sweetheart. They're the, the greatest couple of all time. They'll be together forever. But for most people... You have to really figure yourself out. Get your life selfishness out of the way before you're going to really be able to love someone else the right way. And it took me till I was, you know, 37, 38 years old to realize that. And now I think I'm finally capable of that. But I think I probably did a disservice to partners in the past because they weren't a priority. And there was their love. Like, did I love them as a person? For sure. But was it, like, that unconditional, like, I will die for you type of love? No, it wasn't. And I just was too young and too immature to know that at the time. But I'm evolving and figuring out what's important to me in life and what really matters. And 
I now think I'm I have a much better grasp on that than I did even four or five years ago. Yeah. I mean, what we all want in life is to be loved and appreciated, and you know, people to understand our true souls. I mean, few people. I don't know. I, I know they're well-meaning, but they've said to me, you know, Morgan, you have this. You look like this. You're making X amount of dollars, right? You know, how are you still single? Why, yeah. you know, right? And and I know that it's well-meaning, right? But at the same time, if someone's in love with you for those things, yeah. as opposed to actually who you are, yep. then it's conditional. Or, 100%. Or is it even love, right? I mean, certainly, you know, I think it's important to provide value, not, it's not just monetarily speaking. I do think men should be providers, yeah. right? And have a way to support themselves and set themselves up to, to be a husband, to be a, a father. But if somebody's in love with those things, I, I think I think what I was, you know, how I kind of look at it is like they should understand that those things come from a foundation of character and, uh, Right of of personality traits, yeah. you know that's what you want. You know, so you know this weekend I was my mom just had knee surgery and I was hanging out with her, helping her, and you know she kind of yelled at me. She was going through some pain, but you know I loved her, and you know she, we both realized that, and you know my dad he came home and and you know, like all right dad you know, you know back back here. Yep. And, uh, you know, she called me yesterday, thanked me, and just said, I really appreciate it. I love you, Morgan, you know, being there for me. Yep. And and that's just something that's unconditional, right? Yep. I mean, the, the love of your parents is unconditional. And, you know, I think it's important as, you know, in our society, as you said, everything is just so quick and yep. instant gratification. One, one fault, one ick, or whatever they yep. call these days, right? It's like, eh, he's, he or she is not the one, right? It's like the first sign of trouble, Boom. Yeah. So I think I just you know to get your perspective on that, I think it's very important because in today's day and age, where we're just saturated with, you know, all this stuff of what love is supposed to be for sure and what it actually is for sure. And I, I was very insecure about being single, right? Because I was worried I was just going to be a target. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're just gonna, you're just gonna act like you love me or act like you like me because. I'm successful or because I do well or what can I bring to you? You know what I mean? Like I was, whether that's arrogant or narcissistic, I don't know, but that was a big insecurity of mine is like, I'm just going to be a target, right? Um, I was lucky enough to find someone that I've known for a really long time, right? Like we were never romantic, we were friends, but she's known me, I've known her for a very long time. And I think that help take my guard down and help break walls down because I know her as a human. I know where she's from. I know how she's built. I know how she was raised. And so I never, I I know that her interest in me is not what value I can bring to her, but the fact that she, she loves my soul, right? And like she loves how I live and she loves how I treat people and, you know, how I, how I view life and family and those kind of things. And that's what really is the foundation and the base. And I always said, like, oh, I'll never date someone who's, like, a stay-at-home mom, right? Like, I, I want, like, a someone who's out there, like, you know, queen of capitalism. Now I'm, like, I just want you to, like, yeah. to just be the greatest mom ever and take care of the family. And, like, 
I love that. Like, to me, like, that's because that's what my mom was, right? Like, my mom was lucky enough. Like, she just took care of us three kids. And I think that's a big reason why I've had such a, a great life is because I had that foundation. She was there every single day. And my mom was one of the greatest people that I've ever met. And so now I look at it so differently. Like, I think it's such an important job in our society today to have, like, a parent that is just like fully embracing that role, right? And I love the fact that I have the ability to go out and earn money and take care of the family and support the family. Like that's that's what I want. Like that's now that like in my in my perfect world, that's what I would be. Like let me go out and take care of that and you raise the best, most well-rounded ethical morals you know sharing that with our kids that possibly can be like that's it's my my whole world's twisted in the last few years and like i said like i covid was horrible for a lot of things in society but it was great for reflection it was great for perspective and it changed my life because of the time that i was able to take to really think about these things absolutely yeah yeah i mean talk about covid i mean you kind of went through a, a journey as you talked about, you know, and I think that was a very turbulent time in our country in many ways, shapes and forms. Um, But I I think it did awaken, uh, in addition to all these other things, it's just the fragility of our society to get swayed a certain way. There's this great book by uh, Nicholas Taleb, if you've ever heard of him. I haven't. Called... Well, he, he wrote a book called Black Swan, but one of the books that I really like is called Anti-Fragility. Okay. It, it starts off with an economic uh, analyzing 2008, right, with the stress tests that we put on our economy with, you know, how we had all these mortgage-backed securities that were, you know, crappy loans, right, all that stuff. Yep. But it, it, it breaks it down into a more individualistic level, right, of... of being anti-fragile, right? Yep. Having a strong body, a strong constitution, strong mind. Yep. You know, talk about that. You know where you come from. I mean, you've you've been, you you motivate people to get up early, go to the gym. Yeah. I do that, right? Fitness, right? Read. Yeah. All I, that stuff. I lost fifty pounds in COVID. Wow. Which is crazy. I don't get me wrong. I'm I don't not, know. I'm, you. I'm not in the greatest yeah. shape ever. Like I, I yeah. still could get in better shape, but I lost fifty pounds in COVID That's just because I was like, I mean, I was against like yeah. the whole pressure push of like I'm not even going to say the word because I don't want your podcast to get flagged but I was against <laughs> the whole pressure push of the mandates and all those things I didn't go down that road yes. it was a it was a decision that I made early on where it just my intuition was like no 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 this is not something's wrong here red flag like this is not okay but I was also like we're in the middle of a national pandemic and we're not talking about healthy food choices we're not talking about exercise we're not talking like fast food restaurants are deemed essential like you're gonna shut down a gym but mcdonald's is open like come on you know what i mean like it just it it was mental gymnastics and so i made a point of i'm gonna get in good shape and i'm gonna lose weight that i need to lose and i'm gonna make healthier lifestyle decisions because i think that it was just important and so yeah I, i had a big reflection moment in that as well and you know, it's your health is fleeting, man. Like, if you don't have your health, you have nothing. So many people are living unhealthy lifestyles and they're thinking that they can get away with it. You're not yeah. going to get away with it for forever. Like, it's just not the reality. It's going to catch up with you. And so, I'm still have a lot of work to do, but I'm much better than I was. And I, I don't drink. 
I haven't drank in a while. Like it's, I'm just not a big drinker. Yeah. I'll have a drink from time to time. It's not like I'm like anti-alcohol. It's not like I've had like a oh, I, you know, a big issue. But it's just not my thing. I don't, yeah. know, I don't enjoy I, it. I quit drinking two and a half years ago. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just it's just not my thing. So like those things were not things that I had to cut out. But there were certain things that I, I had to cut out of my life, and it was just like okay, it's time. Yeah. Like here we are, it's time. But um, I think that our society is manipulated by media and by culture and that health is not a prominent thing and it should be. And I think that it's sad because we're one of the most obese countries in the world and one of the most unhealthy countries in the world and yet we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And so it's it's a disease. And I really hope more people wake up to it because we're going to lose a lot of really good people earlier than we should because it's just not a priority in life. Yeah. Our life expectancy in the U.S. has gone down. Yeah. And we are yeah. the wealthiest country in the world. Yep. And it's because we're literally killing ourselves. Literally killing ourselves. Every day. Drugs. Yep. Also, people are overdosing. The fentanyl crisis. Yep. Obesity. Yep. I mean, that's crazy. Yep. You know, you think about... You know, you look back 100 years ago, Great Depression, yep. poor people were skinny. Now, by and large, poor people are obese. Because healthy food is expensive. Yes. And shit food is cheap. Exactly. Yep. You know, things are just so in abundance, right, with, with the food and our, our, our portion sizes. I was in South Korea a few months ago, and just a comparative analysis of, you know, the people don't really eat that much different from where we are. I mean, there's fast food, yeah. but the portions are just so much smaller in other countries compared to America. You know, everything is bigger in America, usually for the good, but sometimes for the worse too, because sure. of how big we are. And it's, uh, you know, it's just it's just interesting that as us as Americans have, have given us, you know, we, we've fallen into this crisis by ourselves. And I don't see the pendulum swinging back. Yeah. Like, I see it swinging farther. Like, the chemicals that are in our food and in our diets, like, it, I, I really, really worry about it. And, I like, I worry about it with kids. Yes. When you and I were kids, we were out and active. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't put weight on. Like, I was skinny, skinny, skinny because I was playing basketball three hours, four hours a day. Like, that's just what I was doing. Now, kids are fat. Kids are obese. Like, if you're fat at 12... We got problems. Like, they, it's a cultural thing. And I don't know when the pendulum swings back. I don't know if it swings back. But it's certainly something that, you know, parents should be aware of. And it starts with you. Like, be a good example for your kids. Be in shape. Take care of yourself. Bring healthy food into the house. You want to eat a McDonald's every now and then? You want your kids to eat a McDonald's every now and then? Okay. But let that be a rarity and not the normal. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, will you, you know, your, your charity, the Make Positive Movement, yeah. you're working with a lot of schools, right? Yep. So you're, you're seeing these children. You know, what are you seeing, like, firsthand? I mean, are you, are you seeing that they're not as active, that they're not eating good? Phones. Phones, Phones. and screens, bro. It's changed our lives. Like, kids are now... I just read something today that uh, one of these gamers that's like on, I don't know what any of this shit is, so I'm going to butcher what all this stuff is. One of these like number one streaming gamers who's on Twitch just got paid $100 million for two years to switch to another site, right? That's where the world's at. It's not activity. It's, it's lethargic couch potato behavior. 
that's not okay. Like that's why we're dealing with what we're dealing with. And so I see that in our kids' generation. When we ask, we, Positive Movement adopts local schools, and it's a charity that I started with some friends, and it's amazing. I love it. We adopt local schools that have some of the most impoverished conditions in kids. And what we've seen is, like, you ask these kids what they want to be when they grow up, and it's, they don't want to be doctors and lawyers. They want to be YouTube stars, yes. right? Like, I that's what that, the number yeah. one answer is, is a YouTube star. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Well, when you like, see a $200 million Twitch streamer, I mean... I why not? What, but why are you? <laughs> why wouldn't you want to be one? Why are you going to go to college? Why are you going to get an education? Why are you going to work hard? Why are you going to do like it, it kills motivation? Which then, like, I I worry as a country we're heading to a universal income type of situation. Yeah. Where the government supplies for you. The government controls you. They can control the food that they put on the table. They can control the food that they take off your table. If you don't do it the way that we don't want it to, we're not going to you know supply for you. That's what I worry about. We're moving from a nation that was based and proud about being self-sufficient to being a nation that's dependent upon others and dependent upon government to take care of you. And that's really, really scary because when you let that happen, you can be manipulated. And if we, ha- if you haven't seen that in the last few years, you're blind because that's where we're at and we're at this pivot point and i think a lot of people have seen through the veil and gone nope not going down that road i'm going to be self-sufficient for me i took gun training classes all through covid i'm not going to rely on anyone else like if i need to protect myself and my family i'll be able to protect myself and my family i'm not going to rely on the government to get me in shape i'll get myself in shape like you have to you are there to take care of yourself no one else is there to take care of you Take that control back. And until that happens on a mass mass playing field, you're going to have fat kids. You're going to have unhealthy kids. You're going to have the life expectancy you know, going down. It's our jobs to take control of our own lives, not to rely on someone else, and especially not to rely on the government. 100%. And I think it's going to take, I mean, positive role models in society. You know, you know, not all celebrities are, I think, bad. No. But, you know, there's there's ones that promote positive messages and that ones can look to, look up to and, ins- and be inspired by, right? Yeah. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, just as an example, throughout most of his career, right, was the guy, hey, you know, look at Arnold. Arnold, you know, Mr. America, swole guy, right? Yep. Strong, as, strong as an ox, right? And... And now, I mean, you know, you have Lizzo or, you know, the plus size models. That's insane. It's like that's, there, there is, you know, there, there is a standard of beauty, yep. I, I would say. You know, every, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yep. But, I mean, the plus size model thing is just a totally new phenomenon. Yeah. Right? I mean, it used to be, you know, you looked at the, the model or, you know, you looked at Arnold, somebody like that. You could, you could, you could see that and say, okay, this person worked hard to get their physique, and now it's like not even try. You know, this person is is totally overweight. You know, they're not going to be told that hey, you need to lose weight, that you're okay just the way that you are. And we are doing people a disservice by Huge by disservice. not taking accountability. Yep. You know, like, hey, you know, you're overweight. You know, let's not. We don't have to shame you, but. We're not going to tell you lies and tell you, like, you're in shape, you're healthy, right? I mean, we're just lying to them and doing people a disservice by not telling the truth. 
thousand percent agree. And I think that what you just said that rings the most true is no accountability. It's just allowing people to skate through life however they want to skate through life and just allowing, you know, ease, instant gratification. Yeah. Like that's not how life works. Like it's just not. And if you chase instant gratification, you're not going to end up in a happy place. You're not going to end up in a healthy place. And unfortunately, our society rewards instant gratification. And it doesn't reward hard work. It doesn't reward putting in the time. It doesn't reward... Because good things take time. Good things take work. Just like love. Just like what we were talking about. But building a family. Just building a business. All of it takes time and hard work. It doesn't just come overnight. You have to put in effort resources sacrifice blood sweat and tears it's not how our not how our country's operating right now it's sad it's very sad and uh you know we have an epidemic of if i can just say it bluntly weakness yeah right i mean you know people are obese pornography is a huge thing for men yep that is totally shifted our culture yeah. in many ways, right? It's like yep. the instant gratification as opposed to going on a date with a woman. Yep. You know? They can just go on their phones and see a naked woman yep. or even more graphic stuff. And Bro, OnlyFans. Exactly. You don't even have to see like a naked porn star. You could see a naked girl that's in your math class. Yes. Like it's the world is twisted and I I sometimes I'm too pessimistic about it, but I also think that I'm realistic about it. And I've tried to make pivots in my life based on where I see the world going in the next 10 or 15 years. And I don't see it going in a good direction. So I've tried to like reinforce certain things like with the gun training and things like that. So I'm ready. And so I'm protected. And so I'm secure because I think that we're going to have some really, really bad times in this country. And I hope I'm wrong, but I'm ready for it if I'm not. Yeah. So talk about some of your other business ventures. I know you just started, you got, you got your medical marijuana license a few years back, doing some stuff with the alcohol. Yeah, so I didn't get, I don't know, it's a, that's a weird weird situation. I didn't get my medical, well, I, I guess I did. So I saw the cannabis train yeah. coming into town, right? And I'm like, I'm not going to miss this boat. Like, I know that there's a lot of money in it, but I didn't want to play in that arena because it's still federally illegal and I didn't want to deal with it. So I did it on a real estate play right i got licenses right from the city la mesa being one of them where we're sitting right now and i got the pieces of paper that said you could operate a you know marijuana facility and then i would sell those pieces of paper so i just played the lawyer game in the real estate play and did very very well at it and that was one of you know my i guess you could say side hustles um i've invested in a lot of businesses that have been successful and those are more passive investments. I've started, um, I started a restaurant in COVID that, you know, we had to pivot from started a meal prep company to be able to keep employees retained. That's done well. Um, was invested in a coffee company that or uh, coffee shops that there's two of them spill the beans that are downtown, bought a coffee roaster to be able to supply the beans to that. So, was able to you know figure out where there was profit on the front and the back on that just kept my head on a swivel and found good opportunities and always do try to just keep my head on a swivel and find good opportunities i was putting more time into side hustles than i 
would really like. And so that's why I've kind of now refocused on the firm and building the firm to be as strong as it can possibly be. And that was also like the shift of like, I want to focus on family. I don't want to be pulled away in too many different directions. So I'm now just kind of focusing my time on, hey, how can I have passive investments and passive income? Make sure the law firm is really, really strong and doing great work for people but pulling myself out where I can have some personal time in a personal life. 100%. You know, I'm in this situation right now where where you worry, I'm still working in corporate America, and, you know, I'm venturing out into entrepreneurs, right? I want to become entrepreneurs and business ventures. You know, for people like myself that are in the same situation, hey, we're working in corporate America, we're, you know, working hard, have a a good income, you know, we want to eventually leave the the corporate America thing and, and... you know, be more self-sustaining, be an entrepreneur, you know, what advice would you give to somebody like myself and people in my situation? Don't get distracted and pulled in too many directions. Okay. Find something that you really want to do that you're really passionate about and go all in on that. How we started this thing, burn the fucking ships. Yep. Go all in on that and, and put all of your time into that one thing. If you start three different things you're going to be subdivided and you're never going to build anything that's really special. So I would tell you like really find something that you, you see and, and it can't just be passion, right? Like you have to find something that you're going to be able to make a living at as well. Eventually it might take you like it did 18 months for me to even pull in a dollar. It might take you two years to even pull in a dollar, but something that you see on a long-term play that you can make a living and support your family and then go all in on that and think, three to five years ahead because the world's changing so quickly, right? Like, So I tell law students all the time, I'm like, don't go in like thinking I'm going to be a family law attorney or a contract attorney. Go in learning about AI. Go in learning about how all these tech laws are changing. Like, Then you're going to have a need and you're going to always be able to support yourself because that's the future, right? So have enough vision to think five, six, seven years out. And then micro goal, like really on a weekly, on a monthly, on a yearly, write down where your, you know, what your small little improvements are and check those boxes off. That's what I did when I started Bottle Fulkerson. I would like have weekly goals that I would have to get through and have monthly goals that I'd have to get through. And if I didn't, they would roll over. But so many people lose track and then they get caught up in the, just the daily inertia of life and they get off of course and so I think that really goal setting for whatever it is your path that you find but don't be too don't be too subdivided into I'm going to do this this and this because very few people are successful that way no that's great advice and uh, something you hit on earlier right I mean burn the ships right and yep. just go forward find burn the ships something. burn the ships that lady that I told that to is now making millions of dollars in her copy machine company. Wow. Millions. Like crushing. And she tells the story. She's in a business group of mine. She tells the story. She's like, yeah, I had lunch with Danny. He told me to burn the fucking ships. She's like, I think about it all the time. And she's now doing so well. And I'm so proud of her. But that's exactly what she did. She went all in. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about that. I mean, for where you are now, you know, you're providing value in terms of your experience, you know, within your network where you really become... Uh, you know a mentor to so many people you know talk about how you approach that how you 
you know, you know, what, what's your motivation to give back and, and be of value to people and get them to where maybe you were before and now you're where you are now? It's one of those things where I wouldn't be where I'm at without the help of other people. I live a very blessed life. I'm very lucky to live the life that I live. So I believe in paying that shit forward. And that's just kind of like, if someone asks for help, of course. If you want some guidance, of course. I'm not always gonna have the right answers, but I will give you the best feedback that I can possibly give. And I'm not gonna pull anything and go, oh, this is a secret to success. I don't wanna give this out because I'm worried that it's gonna take away from my success. I want, I want the people around me to be successful. And so I do a lot of mentorship and I do whatever I can to try to help other people because I think that the better that our community is, the better people are doing, the better that our society is, and hopefully we start moving in a better direction together. And I just, I think that the big thing for me is just is, is making sure I'm paying it forward. It's an energy. It comes back around. You help other people, that shit comes back around to you. There's a weird, weird energy of life, and I've just always felt that. And so whether it's karma, whatever you want to call it, like that's just how I've always lived. 100%. Well, we've been talking for about an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, Didn't feel like it. I know, right? Um, just the final final takeaways, right, that you want to want people to know about how they can inspire their life. I mean, I know we talked about a lot of things, but, you know, what's, what's that one final you know, advice that you can give to people? Take time to be self-analytical. Really break down what is going to make you happy. It's going to be different for every single person. So it's not something that you can like look at someone else and go, oh, that's what it is for me as well. Like, take time, meditate. I do float tanks. Some sensory deprivation chambers have been great for me because it really like allows me to like really think about life. But break down what is going to truly make you tick and make you happy. And then try to find what you could do and not make money doing. And if you do that and you have that much passion where you're like, I could do this every day regardless of the money, you're going to find money. And your passion will push you to be able to build it the right way and build something great and special. And I think so many people are just out there chasing cash early on. And it leads them to a place where, yeah, maybe they find money, but they're really unhappy. And I've been around a lot of really wealthy people that are miserable and just they have no substance. And that's not the goal of life. The goal of life is being happy and having a happy life. And so I tell everyone, chase happiness. Don't chase money. Well, thank you, Dan. Appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me on. Hopefully, as a first guest, I did okay. So. I think you did pretty well. I think I there's, there's a high bar. I appreciate it, man. Thank yeah. you, Dan. Of course. Appreciate Anytime. you. Anytime.